In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, dear friends, if I was to ask you who you are, how would you respond? Now, the first thing which probably would come to mind for most of you when answering such a question like this is, well, to state your name. You're Kathy, you're Scott, you're Helen, or you're Denise. You may even add a last name, Wright, Nelson, McFarlane. But are you just a name? Does your name truly describe who you are? Okay, so you might want to go a little bit further and define who you are by adding what you do. As it may describe your talents or the vocation that you have in our society. Maybe you're a rancher, a farmer, a teacher, a store clerk, or a carpenter. And even if you're not paid for your work, you might... Describe yourself as a stay-at-home mom, a retiree, or a volunteer. Perhaps you're tempted to describe yourself by stating some of your relationships. You might be a father, a mother, a daughter, a son, a brother, a sister, or a grandparent. You might describe yourself by how many friends that you have on Facebook, how many people follow you on Snapchat, or how many names and numbers that you have in your contacts that you keep on your smartphones. You may even describe your likes and your interests by saying that you're a a Cats or a, a Grizz fan Maybe someone who drives a a Ford, a Chevy, or a Dodge. Or who farms with Case IH or John Deere. Perhaps you're a keen golfer, a great cook or a quilter, a crossword enthusiast, or someone addicted to playing video games. I don't know. But is this who you are? Are you just the sum total of names, of work, of relationships and interests? Maybe an experience has shaped who you are, both good and bad. Experiences can affect who we are and how we react in certain situations. Could you have been abused or picked on as a child? Did your parents neglect you? Have you had a traumatic illness or accident? Were you valued, loved, encouraged, and appreciated as a child? 
Or are you jealous of those that were? Have you done something terrible which still haunts you, even if you think that no one has ever found out about it? Have you failed at or achieved something very important? On the other hand, have you achieved something special, been blessed with good friends and family, and have many good memories to look back on? Many positive and negative experiences, well, they can affect us deeply and And so can also play a part in defining who we are. So who are you? Now this time I'm asking the question to us as a congregation. Who is New Hope Lutheran Church? Does our name fully describe who we are. As we gather together as a congregation, are we just a club of like-minded people who gather for a while on Sunday evenings, but maybe don't want to care too deeply or forgive too freely? How do we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we relate to our wider community? And do they care? If they don't care too much for us as a congregation, does that matter to us? Why or why not? What about our history? How has what's happened to us as a congregation defined how we perceive ourselves? If others around us, or maybe let's look at it this way, maybe those in the NALC, the LCMC, or maybe even the ELCA were to define who we are as a congregation and what they think we are, what they say, would that matter to us? So who are you? Individually and corporately. Well, this might seem a little bit presumptuous, But I am going to tell you who you are. Just like St. Peter does in our epistle reading for today. You are all stones. Living stones. Individually and communally being built up as a spiritual house. And Christ, Christ is our cornerstone. Now, of course, when we hear that we're 
all stones, you might think of how hard or stubborn those around you are and how you may have witnessed one brick clash against another. Sometimes you might feel as if hearts of those around you are made of stone. But when you feel threatened, you're probably also tempted tempted to harden your own heart. And unfortunately, hardened hearts lead to deafened ears, blinded sight, stubborn lips, which seem to resist love, mercy, and forgiveness. So then if you are experiencing each other as stones who are cold and hard, you may feel this spiritual house, well, it isn't being built up. It isn't where love comes to life, but it is instead being worn down through struggles, differences of opinion, division, apathy, or arguments. But is this what St. Peter means when he describes us as living stones being built up as a spiritual house? Is this who we are? And more importantly, as individuals and as a community, is this who we want to be? I suppose when each stone wants to be the cornerstone, then all of the living stones will always compete for position. Each stone which acts like a cornerstone will try to force every other stone to fit into his or her own idea of what is, what is this spiritual house and what it should look and feel like. And similarly, when each stone stubbornly refuses to take his or her place within this community, to contribute in a meaningful and intentional way or doesn't allow itself to be shaped by the chief cornerstone, the the spiritual house, well, it won't function properly and it may even crumble. But when the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ and The other stones are being modeled and molded by him to fit into his house. Those living stones, well, they will submit to him and they will obey his plans for their life. And they will trust and live according to his will and to his word and to his timing. But St. Peter, he doesn't stop at calling us living stones. No, we're not just a bunch of bricks on a wall. But we're also a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people bought 
through the blood of Jesus, who are to declare all the excellent things that God has done for us. Once we were people who didn't know mercy, but now we have received mercy. No matter who we think that we are, St. Peter, he's reminding us that this, this is who we are. We're living stones built on the foundation of Jesus the Christ, the true cornerstone. We've been added to the living stones of the past, like the apostles, the church fathers, our foundation members, and so on. Each one of us is so important, a part of this spiritual house. And no matter how little we think of ourselves, and no matter how little we think of those around us, this is who we are. You see, God, well, he chose you and me. He chose us to be part of this holy house. While others might not choose any of us, God, well, he chose you and me. Where we might not choose some of the people that sit around us, God chose to bring them all into this holy house as well. It's his house. And it's his choice. Not yours or mine. And thank God for that. Where we may struggle with names that we've been called at times or struggle with our own sense of self-esteem and feel that we're not worthy of being chosen. And where we may feel that others aren't worthy of being chosen because of what they say and do as well, God chose all of us anyway. God, well, he chose you. God chose the person that you may not want to sit with. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about the love and the grace of God who chose all of us anyway. We are a holy priesthood. And this means that we're not so much called to pray for or to serve ourselves and our own interests, but we're called and equipped to serve and pray for those that seem unworthy, who are vulnerable, who are fragile from past abuse, and whose hearts need to be softened through proclamations and forgiveness, peace and love. We are a holy nation. We are called into the kingdom of God to be holy. For the Lord our God is holy. While each of us may bear scars of our past, recall, recall horrors of wrongs that have been done to us, and live with the regret of our own actions, our God, he washes us clean in the waters of baptism and he restores us to the newness of life, wholeness and holiness 
through his blood. As people in God's kingdom, we daily put off our old nature, which desires to run away or pay back. And we immerse ourselves in the grace and the mercy of our God, who makes us his living instruments of grace. Together, we hear the words of forgiveness, which cleanses our consciences through that blood of Jesus. When any of us hear people struggling with who they are, because what they have done or what has been done to them, we are called by God to proclaim all of those excellent things that God's done and continues to do. This means that instead of proclaiming our own good and everyone else's badness through such things like jokes and gossip, that we are to give glory to God for all of his precious gifts of love, life, provision, protection, forgiveness, grace, life, and peace. So this, this is who you are. We're all people who have received the mercy of God. And not because any of us deserve it, but because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Just like past events, our name calling can affect us deeply. So too can the love and mercy of God work to reshape us, renew us and restore us. Not just as individuals, but also as a community. God loves you. And there's nothing that you can do about that. God loves those that we struggle with as well. There's nothing that we can do about that either. Who are we then? Both individually and corporately is living stones chosen by God to be royal priests, a holy nation, a people set apart to proclaim the good things of God. And you are people who have received mercy. This is who we are. Whether we're Terry Ann, Joel, or Wanda, this is who we are, no matter what our name is, because we are all people who bear the name of Jesus. This is who we are which flows into our relationships at home, at school, at our workplaces, and also here within our spiritual community. This is who we are. No matter what happens to us or what has happened to us in the past or what we may fear will happen in the future, this is who we are because God has declared this is who we are and God 
is good at his word. Amen.